Hello, and welcome to the Safety 2023 podcast, presented by IOSH and recorded live at the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work in Sydney, Australia. In this series, we'll give you exclusive access to interviews with experts from around the globe to cover some of the biggest challenges and trends in occupational health and safety. Hello, you are with us on the Safety 2023 podcast presented by IOSH. My name is Kelly Williams, and I'm delighted to be joining you from the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work in Sydney, Australia. For anyone who's listening on the IOSH podcast, you can access the entire series along with all the symposia, keynotes, and much more exclusive content via the World Congress platform. Just head to safety2023sydney.com. That's safety two zero two three Sydney dot com, where you can register for your virtual pass now for only four hundred Australian dollars. Now, our next guest is making big changes in some of the hardest working environments in the world. He is the director of the Fame Lab at the University of Thessaly in Greece. A very big welcome to Dr. Andreas Flores. Welcome, Andreas. Thank you for having me, Kelly. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you fit into the world of OSH? Absolutely. Uh, I'm an academic working uh, at the University of Thessaly in Greece, as you mentioned, and my group, my research lab, is looking at how different environmental factors affect uh, health, well-being, and productivity. Uh, initially, we, we did some of, uh, of our work with athletes and the general population, uh, people with uh, clinical uh, you know, problems, uh, but then more and more of our work focused on uh, other vulnerable populations such as workers. And especially since climate change and, and environmental factors affect the, the largest part of the population that are affected are workers. Uh, so it, it was just a natural continuum of our work. In the last 10 years or so, we've been uh, focusing more and more of our work uh, on the occupational groups. So uh, we're looking how how different environmental factors like uh, air pollution or heat and cold, uh, how they affect people's health and productivity. So climate change and work are two concepts that aren't necessarily always spoken about in the same sentence. How do they intersect? Well, in, in, in the last years, we've been seeing more and more rapid changes to the climate. We've been used to a climate that was quite stable in previous decades, uh, in previous centuries, I would say, and the, the, the way we used to do work was relatively regulated. I would say that we, we had found a way to do it and do it efficiently and, and to some extent uh, remain healthy while doing it. Uh, in the last few years, we've been seeing rising uh, uh, temperatures, extreme weather events, shifting environmental patterns, and these affect all aspects of our lives, including, of course, the the, the way we do work and... and uh, uh, where the work is done. So um, what we saw in our, in our group is in our research lab was that this is a call to action for us, for scientists that are working on the intersection between environment and health. Uh, and we felt that we needed to, to do some work in this field and support people who are exposed to such extreme conditions. And so can you give an example of industries where most workers are affected? Absolutely. Uh, uh, mainly, we're talking about outdoor workers. Mm. So, uh, in construction, in agriculture, uh, in, in, in transportation, also. But then, also, there's uh, 
other other workers who are uh, typically we don't we don't think about them like uh, uh, home-based workers in poor regions of the planet yeah. like India for example uh, women home-based workers in India they they can regulate their uh, they don't have air conditioning or other means to regulate temperature at home uh, and they're very vulnerable to this they're not uh, able to perform their work and we're seeing more and more that uh, uh, they're less productive and this affects of course their income and the family mm -hmm. income because uh, more and more families in these uh, poor, uh, poor regions of the planet are dependent on second income. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of uh, migrant workers who go to work in, in regions who are, uh, that are hot and uh, they, they develop chronic disease like mm -hmm. chronic kidney disease. So more and more we're seeing that the shifting of the environmental patterns is uh, affecting people's uh, health and productivity. So you talk about the globe heating up. Are we starting to see this problem grow? And more so, are we seeing these changes affect some countries disproportionately? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, indeed, climate change is not, is not fair to all countries. And actually, some countries are getting... Um, better in terms of climate, uh, more, I would say not better, but friendlier to the worker. Uh, countries that were extremely cold, for example, uh, and workers were suffering from cold injuries, this will, this will improve in the, in the coming decades and has already improved to some extent. But on the other hand, countries that, that, were, uh, uh, that had more normal conditions will actually start uh, to, to have higher risks of injury. And then countries which were hot will actually get much hotter. And the problem is that the countries that are near the equator and they tend to be hot, they tend to also be more uh, dependent on manual labor. Mm -hmm. And uh, also more of the population is, it tends to be poorer and therefore more vulnerable to the, uh, they don't have the capacity to, you know, adapt their conditions, their living or working conditions to the environment. So unfortunately, climate change affects more, the more vulnerable. Okay. And uh, we'll be seeing more and more, unfortunately, uh, in, in the coming decades, we'll, we'll be seeing this phenomenon more and more. Mm. So what's being done about this at a research level and elsewhere? From a research perspective, there's actually more and more research going, done, and more at, at the social sciences as well, uh, looking at migration flows, looking at uh, people's quality of life, but also from the medical and health sciences point of view, we're uh, investigating quite heavily how our body is adapting. Can it adapt, first of all, to, to, to what extent it can adapt and uh, how, it can, how we can help these workers be more healthy and productive in these environments? Because whether we like to or not, whether we, we cut greenhouse gas emissions today, uh, the environment will continue to, to heat up for several decades. Mm -hmm. I often um, use the metaphor of a large tanker. You know, a large tanker, when it's filled with oil or something else, uh, it, needs to, uh, it needs to break for one hour so that it stops moving. Yeah. So you need to put the brakes on for one hour. Same as the, 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 the planet, such a big system, a massive system, that even if we, it, has, it has started its course towards rising temperatures, even if we stop today, uh, for several decades, things will continue yeah. happening. So we need to help workers uh, and the economies as well and the, and the businesses. Uh, to remain competitive. So you did a ma major research project in Qatar around the construction workers building stadiums for the 2022 World Cup. Mm 
Can you give us some examples of what the workers were dealing with before your study? Yes, indeed. The, there was uh, the main point of the study, the main outcome we were looking for was heat exposure. Uh, the government had introduced legislation in 2007, which included uh, some uh, uh, basic uh, um, regulations like prohibited working hours during the hottest part of the day. Uh, but uh, there was obviously need for to study this further and to generate evidence to see whether that was effective and whether we needed to do something more. Uh, and our studies showed that, first of all, you needed to expand the uh, prohibited working hours. And we were happy to see that uh, the large study that we did uh, and the outcomes that came from it uh, were almost, I would say, to their entirety uh, adopted by the government, which um, adopted legislation in 2001, two years after our study. Uh, the new legislation includes extended prohibited working hours uh, happening, first of all, earlier every season and lasting longer. Right. And also starting earlier each day and lasting longer. Mm -hmm. It also includes uh, adoption of the wet bulb globe temperature. So there's a cutoff, not only uh, there's not only a cutoff of prohibited working hours, but now there's a cutoff throughout the day. If there's uh, heat rises beyond a certain point, even at night, for example, uh, work should stop. Okay. Uh, and then also it includes... Um, uh, worker education, uh, acclimatization during the, the first, uh, the, the initial part of the season every year. Uh, it includes health checkups and an, a, a range of other uh, measures to protect workers. Because one of the things, uh, one of the main uh, things uh, that we saw was that when we went to businesses that were not large corporations, so like uh, small farms or small businesses, we saw that there was a, a huge gap in OSH, uh, workers were not protected to the same extent as you would have seen in large stadiums uh, yeah. that were uh, um, building the World Cup, uh, the World Cup stadiums. Uh, so we needed to support, uh, especially the small, medium sizes, medium size enterprises. So we tried to recommend a range of practical, easy, uh, and uh, um, economically feasible measures to protect particularly those those businesses and workers. That's really important, isn't it, to get them on board as well. Um, so what does happen to the human body in extreme heat? Well, there's acute effects and there are chronic effects. Yeah. Acutely, you can feel that, you, uh, you know, you feel a bit dizzy, weak, uh, sometimes feel um, exhausted. Uh, it's more easy to get tired. Uh, and this can actually reach to a point where it can be really uh, dangerous for your health, meaning that you can have a heat stroke. This is a serious uh, uh, health outcome and uh, you need to be transported immediately to the hospital and cooled down. Uh, but then in the long term, even if you never experience a heat stroke, in the long term, if you're um, working in the heat many weeks or months every year for many hours every day, uh, even if you don't experience a heat stroke, this can lead to uh, chronic health conditions like chronic kidney disease. Mm. This, this comes from being dehydrated, for example, many hours every day, and especially not rehydrating when you go home. Uh, and this is because when you're, when you're dehydrated, your blood is thicker. And when it goes through the kidneys to get filtered and cleaned, uh, because it's thicker than normal, it damages the kidneys as it passes through. And uh, 
I, you know, in the long term, after months and, and years of doing this work on a daily basis, uh, you end up having a lot more uh, uh, risk for having chronic kidney disease. That's fascinating. And I guess also if talking about the acute um, effects, you could be more likely in terms of safety to have an accident as well, couldn't you, in the workplace? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because feeling um, dizzy or exhausted, we often see that when uh, workers feel like this, they're a lot more likely to not follow protocol, not mm -hmm. follow safety procedures. Not because they, they want to avoid them, but because they're too tired and often they don't take the right decisions. Making shortcuts exactly. and things like exactly. that. Yeah, yeah. So to finish work earlier or because they feel uncomfortable, mm -hmm. uh, they make their own choices. Sometimes they, they remove, uh, for example, personal protective equipment and yeah. they shouldn't. We've also seen that uh, even, for example, in helicopter pilots. You see that they, because there, you know, they, the helicopter pilots are, uh, it, it's all about driving a helicopter, flying helicopter is all about protocol. You can't miss a step. Mm. And we've seen that even in such cases where protocol is so important, the the, the risk of, of uh, you know avoiding steps in protocol or missing steps rises by thirty three percent. So it's a lot more likely yeah, that you will miss huge. a step, and this has impact on accidents, of course. That's interesting what you say about PPE as well, working in really really hot environments. So I guess it's probably quite common that people attempted to remove them. Absolutely, uh, because it makes them feel less comfortable yeah. uh, so this one more reason is heavier mm -hmm. bulkier uh, makes you feel hot so the the more exhausted you are the hotter you are the more likely you are to make the wrong decision and mm -hmm. remove uh, personal protective equipment and that's another uh, another call to action to improve ppe uh because of the conditions that workers more and more are experiencing and why surveillance continuous surveillance is so important absolutely so with the 2026 World Cup being hosted in part of Mexico, where it's obviously very, very hot, and it's seen um, extreme heat just this year, um, what did you learn from the study that can be carried over in preparation for that event? There are actually many studies that have been done in recent, in recent years in Mexico, not so much in construction, mainly in agriculture. But what we've seen, for example, in, from Qatar that could be uh, translated over there is that we, we really felt that um, workers, if they are protected well, they can work even in the most arduous, even the most harsh conditions. So we asked when we were doing the study in Qatar, we asked the uh, Ministry of Labor to provide us with an uh, exemption to, for a few days for workers to work in these prohibited working hours. But we would support them with uh, all the measures, all the range of measures that we wanted to. So it's sort of like a pilot. Mm. And we actually saw that these workers working in the prohibited working hours were much less uh, likely to have a, a heat-related illness and much more productive than workers, for example, working in the middle of the night uh, or in, in parts of the day that were not supposed to be as dangerous. Uh, so what this means is that Yes, the environment can, can be very harsh and they can, can raise the risk for health issues. But if you protect workers yeah. enough and you provide them all the support they need, they can be both very productive and mainly very healthy. So I think this, this is a valuable lesson to take, not only to Mexico, but also to other, other hot countries. Absolutely. We've also seen instances of human biology being altered in places like India, 
you alluded to it earlier, where women working in certain conditions are presenting reproductive issues, for example. Um, so broadening the lens, what kinds of societal issues are we seeing um, that can result from ineffective action towards heat-related OSH hazards? Um, for example, decreasing populations, widening economic class divides, for example. Absolutely. Economic uh, class divide is a major issue that mm. we're seeing because climate change, unfortunately, impacts the more vulnerable population populations, which are more dependent on manual labor. So, uh, as I said before, the, these people tend to be poorer on average, mm -hmm. so the poor will be hit uh, disproportionately harsh uh, more. Uh, and another uh, societal uh, phenomenon that we're seeing lately, especially in Europe where, where I come from, is migration. We've seen more and more migration flows because of this. Uh, people, because of, because of the fact that uh, countries that are more dependent on manual labor uh, uh, tend to be more hit uh, hit harder by the, by climate change. Uh, the job market is severely um, uh, you know affected there, mm. so people are trying to find job elsewhere. And uh, the the cooler parts of the, uh, of the of the globe, such as Europe, North America, uh, and Australia, for example, are you know like a like a target for these people. They're trying to find a better um, place to live, uh, a place that has more jobs, so they they seek refuge over there. Hmm. So we talked about the problems. Let's look ahead to the solutions. Who are the major stakeholders who need to come into play to make any effective change into the future? Well, from up to, to the top, we're talking about the UN and international organizations such as ILO mm -hmm. and WHO. But then at the, at the country level, of course, we have the government, the ministries of labor who play a pivotal role here. But as we move down... You can't do these well unless you co-create with uh, employers, with workers, unions, uh, with OSH professionals, of course, having a major input there. And of course, me being from academia, I think there's also a role that academics can play to, to add uh, some, some uh, knowledge and experience from that. So you need all these different uh, stakeholders to come in and create a system that works. And a system that is has some uh, common, uh, I would say, parts to other countries, but it has to be, um, you know, developed specifically for, for each country and for each setting. We've seen that if you take something that works in one place and move it to another, it doesn't work that well. Uh, sometimes it can even be detrimental because you feel that you have something and you've taken care of a problem. And uh, if, if you don't analyze it, if you don't... Um, gather data to see if it actually does uh, as they say you know no, no data no problem uh, that's what we typically used to say in academia so it's uh, important to import something import knowledge developed from other countries but then uh, custom make it and, and uh, uh, design it specifically for your own setting so at the heart of this it really is a human rights issue how do we cut through to those who are offending in these instances? Well, um, how do we cut through? That's a, that's a tough question. Mm. Uh, about a month ago, I was in Geneva and we were um, at the UN Human Rights Committee about the fact that um, there was, uh, in the United States, there was uh, some um, 
legislation that was uh, trying to uh, support the fact that workers uh, are not supposed to be, uh, sorry, the providing water to a worker is not a right to life. So we were obviously against that. We were arguing that providing clean and potable water to a person who's working, especially in an outdoor environment, is is a right to life. Uh, so how to address, how to cut through? First, uh, make, make sure that these are important uh, to clarify and, and fight for basic human rights, such yeah. as that. Uh, and then legislation. In my view, legislation is really important. Uh, I'm trying to lobby as hard as I can uh, globally, but of course, starting from my own country, to for the government to adopt legislation uh, to address climate change and starting with heat, but also moving to other other aspects of climate change. And then uh, from from the Greek level, then moving, I'm also supporting um, some EU uh, unions in the EU, and we're hoping that uh, um, a working group has actually just been formed. Uh, and uh, it will inform the Commission, the European Commission, about that. And I'm hoping that uh, in the end of the next two years, it will request the Commission to uh, adopt legislation. Um, the, I, I think these are the, the first two, uh, you know, fight for rights and then yeah. fight for legislation. Yeah. And then, of course, implementing it. Because, but, because having legislation is important, but implementation is, is definitely a next step. But uh, unfortunately, right now we haven't even we're not even dreaming about implementation because most countries don't have relevant legislation. Uh, so legislation for me is key, I think. So talking about putting it sort of front and center, you spoke on the Our Precarious Planet Symposia here at the World Congress on Health and Safety at Work. What did you take away from the discussion? Well, climate change is is a very broad topic. In, in this session, we try to cover different aspects of it. We talked about uh, home-based workers in India. We talked about uh, workers in electrical utilities uh, in Canada fighting floods. Uh, we talked uh, about different um, problems, psychosocial issues, and, and, and challenges, psychological challenges people have to raise when they when they want to raise climate change issues at work, and how. Uh, we can have more inclusive environments, uh, working environments in terms of discussing issues of climate change. And then, so the first part of the session talked about challenges that we're facing and the problem. And then the second part, we tried to cover solutions. Okay, we know the problem, but what can we do about it? Uh, so we, we looked at solutions uh, implemented in Italy and in Singapore, North and South Hemisphere, rural and urban environments. And then we also had um, uh, a representative from the ILO Vision Zero Fund who talked to us about what the ILO is doing to try to address the issue at the global level. Yeah. So we tried to just skim through various aspects and facets of, of climate change and how it impacts from the from the worker all the way up to the, the entire planet. Uh, and uh, I hope that uh, we gave um, you know a good mix of the problems and the solutions of the. Mm -hmm. That was my next question, actually. What are you hoping the audience took away from that? Well, I hope that the, the audience took away the fact that uh, climate change is, a, is a, um, a rising, accelerating issue uh, that we need to address. Uh, we need to address it yesterday. Mm. And uh, that the good news is that we have solutions. Solutions are 
being developed and more and more intensely, I would say, both at the at the local, at the national, and then also at the international yeah. level. And uh, that we definitely need to support that as much as we can, all of us. Andreas, it's been absolutely eye-opening to have you here in the booth today. Uh, we eagerly await to see where your work leads you next and good luck with what you're lobbying for. It sounds like a fantastic piece of really important work. So thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, if you're listening to this on the IOSH podcast, you can get access to every interview in the Safety 2023 series, along with all the other sessions and exclusive videos from the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work right now on the World Congress platform. Just head to safety2023sydney.com and register for your virtual pass. From everyone here at IOSH and the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to sharing more conversations from the world of OSH with you very soon.